0: I'm excited because we're finally getting back to the book of Romans. For those of you that followed along and were paid attention, we actually stopped Romans back in November because of the holidays. But I'm excited to get back. And the last time that we went through it, we were in Romans chapter 12. So turn there with me. And John actually taught on this. Now, it's not that he didn't do a good job of it. But he said something very prophetic. Because I wasn't here that weekend. I was on a business retreat, not as good as a men's retreat is going to be. We weren't singing worship songs, for sure. And he taught on Romans 12, but he said something he might not even remember. He says he was going to skip part of it, and Robert may come back and touch on it. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Because we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Because John taught on uh, the gifts and using our gifts for the edification of the church. One and two, I really, I love this section. For me, it's like the core of how to grow, of what it means to be a believer from the very beginning. And so I hope you find that as we go through these just two verses. But before we do that, let's, let's pray. Lord God, it is such a great opportunity to be here this morning to worship the living God, the only wise God. And Lord, even so, we ask that you would come and speak to us as we open your word. Now, as we hear your word proclaimed, we pray that your spirit would speak to each and every one of us, Lord God, and show us how we are to be transformed by the power of the gospel. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The title of this morning's message is Total Transformation. My son Jonathan's in first grade, and he's uh, doing a little science experiment with caterpillars. Do you guys ever remember those? Buying the little caterpillars in a cup and then watching them metamorphosize or transform into butterflies. Well, every morning we look at it, or I look at it, When I, I'm i sure we all do as a as the family, and they're little tiny caterpillars. Anybody ever done this before, bought the cup of caterpillars? Okay, thank you over there, some people. <laughs> they're little tiny caterpillars, and they're in a little little cup, you know, no bigger, than, no bigger than, like, my water cup, like that. Well, every morning they're getting, after some time, they started getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and you start to see some, looks like webs, I think it's silk that's growing. And they're going to be totally transformed from a caterpillar into a butterfly. That's what they are made to do. And in in a sense, we as Christians are made by God when we become believers to be transformed into the image of Christ. And so this morning, as we look at this text, I pray that you will see how that is what you're called to be and how we are to do it. And so let's read the text this morning. Again, verse one of chapter 12. It says, therefore. Therefore. So if you remember, the Apostle Paul from chapters 1 through 11 has been explaining the grace of God, which we are saved and all that God has done. And now for the rest of the book in chapters 12 through 16, he's going to show us now what we do in response to what Christ has done for us. And that's why he says, therefore, because of everything that he said so far, Again, these sh- two small verses are very, very powerful, and I, I pray I do justice with them this morning, or at least whet your appetite for, to, for further study and reflection on this section. Again, Paul is explaining grace and saying, therefore, we are to live in a certain way. He says, brethren, believers, he urges them. When he says, I urge you, it's a cross between a request and a command. Do you know the difference between a request and a command? Well, he merges these two. It's kind of like when your boss asks you to, hey, don't you think we should do this? Do you think he's requesting it, or is he commanding you to do it? It's a, I hope you take it as a command. A good employee will go, my boss wants me to do that. The Paul's urging in that sense. I urge you. It's not a suggestion. He's almost commanding them or exhorting them. He says, again, I urge you, brethren, brethren by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God with your spiritual transformation. So Paul's going to explain what a total transformation of the believer consists of in light of what he said up to this point. And the first thing that I want to point out is he says, by the mercies of God. Now, the mercies of God, it's more like, Because of the mercies of God or the mercy that God has shown you and through the mercy of God, this is the base of where the transformation will start. The mercies of God are the source of the transformation. It's not as though God did one thing one time in the past and never does anything again for us. It is a continual day-by-day mercies of God that the believer lives in. I'm reminded of, Lamentations 3, 22 through 23, which says this. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for his mercies never fail, or his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Didn't we remember that worship song? Like back in the 90s, we used to sing. Great is thy faithfulness, the Lord. God's mercies are new every day. If you don't know that by the fact that you're living and breathing in here, God has shown his mercy on you. You didn't crash in Corona, get <laughs> The mercies of God are shining upon us day in and day night, whether you understand it or not. One time Christ died. For all sin, his mercy didn't stop then. Sometimes we live as, well, that's all that Christ has done for me, and he's done nothing else. You know, whatever reason, I'm going through a hard time in life. Where's God's mercy? Where's God's faithfulness? No, God's mercies are new every morning, and great is God's faithfulness. So the mercies of God are the basis of the transformation of the the believer. So Paul continues on. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to do what to present your bodies, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable unto God. So the transformation of the believer consists of, number one, the mercies of God and number two, giving our entire being over to God. That's why he says present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice when he says present your bodies. This, is the la- this language should conjure up the vision of the Old Testament sacrifices where they would take an animal and present it to God on an altar to be sacrificed. This is the imagery Paul is drawing on for the New Testament believers. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now there's a difference. Think about this of the Old Testament sacrifice and the sacrifice that's described by the believer are from the believer in the New Testament. The Old Testament sacrifice, what? It died right there on the the altar. It was killed for whatever reason. But the New Testament sacrifice, first of all, there isn't a New Testament sacrifice in that sense. He's saying you, your body, your entire being is now the sacrifice that you are presenting on the altar, except you are living. You don't die and stay on the altar. We are living sacrifices, not dead ones. We are offering our very lives to God. Again, in one sense, you lay on the altar as dead, as we'll talk about in a moment. But in the other sense, you are called to get up and live for God. Let me show you a few verses in Romans. Go to Romans chapter 6 and look at verses 12 through 13. Paul says this, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as an instrument of unrighteousness. But present yourselves, again, that imagery of presenting yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So you're offering your entire being, my hands, my feet, my eyes, my mind, my tongue, my lips, my body is God's. Just like the Old Testament sacrifice, they gave the whole sacrifice to God. The difference, again, is that was killed and it was dead. The only thing we kill now in the New Testament is what? Three-letter word. Starts with S. Yes, yeah, sin. We kill Sin. And we're alive to God. So in one sense, again, he says, your sacrifice is a living sacrifice. You and me as believers, we're alive. We're to live for God. In the second sense, he says, not only are you a living sacrifice, but you are a holy sacrifice. And holy, that word means to be set apart for sacred use. Again, in the Old Testament, they would get the sacrifice. It will be separated from the rest of the flock to be presented to God, set apart for God for sacred use. In the same sense, we are set apart by God for sacred use. He plucked you out of this world and put you into this marvelous light. He set you apart. He set me apart. We are placing our lives on the altar as an offering prepared for sacred use. You're saying, God, I present my body on this altar for you to use as you please. A living sacrifice. I love that imagery. And we are to always live as a sacrifice to God. Go back to Romans chapter 6 and look at verses 16 through 19. And speaking about this living sacrifice. Romans 6:16 says this Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience you are slaves for the one whom you obey either of sin resulting in death or an obedience resulting in righteousness So he's making this contrast you've been plucked out set apart by God to be used for righteousness and now you are a slave to righteousness He goes on, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching that which you are committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. So the living sacrifice puts themselves on the altar and says, God, I'm going to be used how you want to be. You want me to be used and I'm going to be a slave for you in righteousness, no longer living the way I used to live. And why is this? Because what Christ has already done, you're already saved sanctified, justified. This is a result of what he has done. Paul is urging us to do this elsewhere. Paul clearly called the believers to live a life consecrated, set apart for God. Let me show you this. So, again, you're that living sacrifice set apart for God. Paul uses this imagery throughout his writings. Turn with me. We're going to look at a few verses here. Turn with me to First Corinthians six twenty. First Corinthians 620. Apostle Paul makes it very clear, speaking to the believer, the Christian church. He says this, for you have been bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Living sacrifice, your entire body is now the Lord's. It's set apart for his use. And then again, in second Corinthians, turn over one book. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses 14 through 15. This is one of my favorite verses. It says, for the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this. Now follow this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Speaking of Jesus. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. That is one of the, I just love that verse. It clearly puts out, what's your purpose in life? Every believer, what's your purpose in life? To live for him who gave his life for you. That's it. What's God's will for my life? Right there, live for him. Pretty simple, right? He died for all, let me read this again, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. Christian believers, stop living for yourself. We no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. We always get in trouble when we live for ourselves. We talked about this last week as well, about loving your brothers, loving your neighbor, loving your enemy. It's about living for others before ourselves. And then one last verse. First Peter chapter two, verse 24. <clears throat> Again, Paul describing the believer's life and how they should live for God. First Peter two twenty four says this. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you have been healed. Over and over, the New Testament describes who you are to be. So it's not that we get saved and we stay on the altar. Again, get that picture. The Old Testament sacrifice, put on the altar, died, stayed there, and was burned up. The New Testament vision is it's a living sacrifice who dies on the altar to their own selves and gets up and walks in newness of life. It's an awesome thing to think about. Give your entire being over to God as a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice. But Paul doesn't stop there going back to our text in Romans 12. Again, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. And the third one, acceptable to God. What kind of sacrifice in the Old Testament was acceptable to God? It was a Sacrifices to God had to be perfect without blemish. You might be thinking as I did. Well, I'm blemished. I'm not perfect. So how can I be acceptable to God? In Christ Jesus, you are acceptable to God. He is the perfect sacrifice who sacrificed his life for you. He took our place. That's why we're acceptable to God. Not because we're good and perfect and I did a bunch of good things. No. No. Romans 1 through 11 has been describing our pitiful state and how Christ saved us. And that is how you are acceptable to God. You can't clean up good enough to be acceptable to God. It is only by taking on the shed blood of Jesus Christ and covering your sins that you're acceptable to God. So the living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice is acceptable unto God. And I like this next term in verse one of chapter 12, which is your spiritual service of worship. The total transformation that Christ does in us makes us acceptable for worship. This is our spiritual worship, it says. The type of life that we're talking about, the living sacrifice, the holy sacrifice, this is a type of life that is considered by God as true worship, which is why it says spiritual worship. In some translation, it says you're a reasonable form of worship. And it's reasonable because you've been transformed by Christ. You've been changed by God, so it just makes sense that that's the worship that's expected. And only such a life can truly be considered spiritual. So in my NASB, it says spiritual service of worship. The only true spirituality is a dedicated life That is holy, sacrifice to God. So the total transformation of the believer consists of the mercies of God, giving our entire being over to God, which results in a total transformation of worship. So how, going to our next verse, how does this total transformation take place? He describes it in verse 2. He says, I'm going to read this quickly and do not be conformed to this world. So after he's talked about the living sacrifice, this living sacrifice is to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So let's unpack this a little bit. How does the total transformation take place? Well, number one it should be very apparent that it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say it here in this text, but I want you to know that that's a given. We can only be transformed by the power of God. Without that, there's nothing else we can do. You know, we might do some good works and some good deeds and have a, a minor reformation of a sort. But without the power of the Holy Spirit, it is dead. So number one, it is the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 518 talks about this. The believer who's controlled by the Holy Spirit, he says this. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So don't be controlled by alcohol, he's saying, but be controlled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what controls the believer's life. So I want to get that out of the way. First of all, we must... Be transformed and controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit. Next, he says, do not be conformed to this world. What he's talking about there is not being conformed to the ungodly societal norms of the day. I'm going to talk about this a little bit. That word conform means this in the Greek. It means to assume a certain form. Or have an outward shape. So outwardly, you have this appearance or form or shape of the world another way he says you look like the world this world system he's saying don't be conformed don't look like the world to look like something that you are not those caterpillars can't be anything but caterpillars and they won't be they're going to be transformed into butterflies they can't do anything else and the believer the same way saying we should not be anything else don't let societal norms conform you to its image, its outward image. I like this uh, verse in First 1 Peter 1.14, speaking of this, about the believer. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance. So those of you who are believers and are old enough to remember your past lifestyle before Christ, He's saying, don't look like that anymore. Don't be conformed to that. Don't have the outward appearance of that anymore. <clears throat> I like the King James Version. This gives it a better understanding. I like, he says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. So that word, that word conform means fashioning, looking like. Have an outward appearance. that what are we not supposed to look like? I mentioned it a few times now to this world. But what exactly does the world mean? It means this age, a period of time that is dominated by sin and Satan, because such an age is opposed to God. So really, anything that would pull you away from God of this world, he's saying, don't be conformed to that. One way of saying it is how Paul described it in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. I like this one. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive, conforms you through the philosophies and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of this world, rather than according to Christ. As we'll see in a moment, don't let this world conform you into something that scripture tells you not to be. Again, it doesn't matter what our society says is normal. If it doesn't align to scripture, then we reject it and refuse it. I'll show you that in a moment as we get to the next word. So don't be conformed. Don't have an outward shape of this world. Don't have an outward appearance where you look no different and act Really, it's acting no different and thinking no different than this world. But what does the Apostle Paul tell us in the next section? He says, but do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed. So don't conform, but be transformed. And that transform in the Greek is the word metamorpho, where you could obviously tell means what in English? metamorphosis The caterpillar is metamorphosizing into something else. The Christian believer should transform themselves into something else, and we'll talk about that in a moment. I like that word, though, metamorphos. It consists of two Greek words, meta, which means change from after being with, which is interesting. So after you're with something, you start to change. You can see where I'm going with that, right? When you're with Christ, you begin to change. The other word morpho means change form in keeping with inner reality. So it's it's interesting that conform was an outward change. Transform is an inward change with reality looking like something that you've been with. Very interesting when you study the, the root of the root words. So it's a complete opposite of conforming. You're transforming. It's an inward change. And Paul's saying there must be a reprogramming of our mind. This transformation again, Christians are to adjust their way of thinking about everything in accordance with the newness of their life in the spirit. You've offered your mind to God as well. It's not just religious practice. It's everything that needs to be transformed, right? Transform begins, it says here in verse 2, by what? By the renewing of your mind. The mind is the practical reason or moral consciousness. This is where transformation begins. This is why I said in the beginning, why I think this is a key verse for the believer. Our mind must be transformed. Not only just our heart, but our mind. Proverbs 23, 7 says this, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. You may remember uh, that famous uh, philosopher Rene Descartes. Those of you that maybe were had philosophy. <clears throat> How did he prove man's ability or man's existence that we were real? That famous line that says, "I think, therefore I am." He's the one that said that. He proved that you exist, that I'm real, that he's real by saying, "We think, therefore I am." There was a a famous essay in 1903 by a gentleman named James Allen, another philosopher, and he wrote an essay on the power of thought, and this is what he says. He says, he he quotes scripture here. He goes, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Not only this not only embraces the whole of a man's being, but it is so comprehensive as to reach out to every condition and circumstance of his life. A man is literally what he thinks, his character being the complete sum of all his thoughts. And again, I think this is why it's key. The Apostle Paul obviously said this thousand years or so before James Allen, renew your mind, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How we think, Scripture says, is who we are. So we need to renew our mind. And again, how do we do what? How do we do that? It's the power of getting the word of God into our minds. The word of God must transform the believer. Let me show you a few verses where that is implied or plainly stated. Go to Colossians. We're going to go through a few verses in Colossians. Just again showing you how getting God's word into us letting it transform our minds is so important and foundational for the Christian life to be transformed. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 7 says this, Therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith. Look at this, just as you were instructed. So you were, it's saying you're being taught. Your mind is being transformed by the teaching of God's word overflowing with gratitude. And obviously, I'm reading into that what he's about God's word. But I think it's plainly stated or it's implied by the teaching being rooted and established in your faith only comes through doctrine, through teaching, sound teaching. And the Apostle Paul is telling the church of Colossae that therefore you've been received Christ just as you've received Jesus Christ as Lord. So walk in him having been firmly rooted, now being built up in him and establishing your faith just as you were instructed. So it's being established through the teaching and being built up through the teaching. It's foundational to get the word of God into our lives. Go down to chapter 3 of Colossians. Look at verse 1. Actually, 1 through 3. He says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, so if you're a believer... Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And look at this. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on the earth, the worldly things. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Drop down to verse 10 and have and having put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Again, you're being renewed. By the knowledge that is transferred to you by the understanding of the word of God. Verse 16, drop down to verse 16. Let the word of Christ, the words, biblical knowledge, the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness are singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. All that, I believe, alludes to an understanding of the Word of God so that you can do these things. You can grow. You can sing hymns, sing songs of thankfulness to God because you understand what Christ has done for you. The power of getting the Word of God into our minds again is repeated and applied over and over again in Scripture. <clears throat> in Psalm 119, verse 11 a very famous scripture that's often quoted. He says, your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Again, the psalmist is illustrating my point. The word of God is so ingrained in his heart that he doesn't want to sin against God. He's treasured it. It's important to him what the word of God says. And we need to understand that the total transformation is a process. This doesn't happen overnight, does it? I wish it did. Again, going back to my son's caterpillars, they don't change overnight. It's little changes day by day. And those things were like as big, like as, big as my thumbnail. Now they're like a big, as big as my thumb in that thing. They're changing. They're growing day by day, and they're getting bigger. And they're going to be a complete transformation eventually. It signifies the Christian life to me. It's little changes, little by little, day by day. We just keep moving forward by the power of the Holy Spirit. I wish you could just like, you know, learn through osmosis and just put this to your head and you get it all inside of you and you're good to go. Wouldn't that be awesome? No, it's a lifelong process. It's called sanctification and it doesn't happen overnight. And guess what? It won't be complete until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not like, oh, I've reached it. I'm totally, totally sanctified. I'm perfect. I've reached perfection. That's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, the process is described in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. i read this to you. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. But we all... With unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Sanct- that's the sanctification process. All of us as believers are being transformed into the same image of glory. Excuse me, the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So those little caterpillars are being transformed. Day by day, they're going to become a butterfly. The believer, day by day, are being transformed into the image of Christ. How? By the renewing of our minds. By the renewing of our minds. It's a day-by-day process. And the result of this total transformation of the believer is this, going back to our text in Romans 12, verse 2. And and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that, this is the result, so that you may prove the will of God, What the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is speaking of the moral will of God. As believers, the more that we're being transformed into the image of Christ, the more that we'll be able to understand God's will, as it's laid out in Scripture. We'll be able to understand what is good and acceptable and perfect. This doesn't mean that, hey, you're, God's going to tell me what to do every minute of the day. No, it's talking about discernment. You're going to be able to discern between good and evil. You're going to be able to discern between good and bad, acceptable and unacceptable, perfect and not perfect. How many believers do you know who still struggle on some of the basic principles of Christianity? Because, <laughs> yeah, me too. I know. I do too in some areas. <laughs> Ray's very honest, right? <clears throat> right, they don't know, well, uh, should I live with my girlfriend? What's the word of God say? Okay. Sometimes pe- they're like, well, the world does it. Is it even Christianity? It's okay? No. There's some basic principles in the word of God that when we're blinded by and conformed to this world and our mind's not being renewed by the word of God that we struggle with. Again, the world says it's okay. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is. I I love this verse in Hebrews. You're like, you love a lot of verses. Yeah, I know. Hebrews, not all of them. Hebrews chapter 5. Just the ones I agree with. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Hebrews 5, verse 14. Look at this. Actually, to go back to 13, I'm going to read it. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Speaking of immaturity of a believer. But solid food is for the mature. And this is the part I really like. Who, because of practice, 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 have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The more that we apply the word of God into our lives, the more that we're able to discern between good and evil. Does it mean you're going to get it right all the time? No, because we still have a fallen nature and we sin every day. But again, but solid food is for the mature who, because of practice day by day, renewing your mind by the word of God. You've all heard that term practice makes perfect. It's even true in the Christian life. We need the word of God to be totally saturating our minds so that we can be transformed instead of conformed to this world. So the question becomes, how do we renew our mind as we go to the application point? How do we renew our minds? It's, a, it's obviously I've been mentioning and alluding to it over and over again. It's transforming our minds with the word of God. It's God's word. I read a bunch of verses how I alluded to that the teachings is what transforms your mind. And it's not for the sake of just having head knowledge. Oh, I know every Bible story. I know every verse. No, that's not why. That's not what I'm talking about. But it's to gain the understanding that stimulates and produces a total transformation of the inner being. Let me close with these five things. How do we renew our mind? When you're reading God's word, this, you can use this, too, as Bible study. When you're, when you're like, well, I don't know how to study the Bible. What am I to be looking for? Do I have to study the Greek like you just did? No. No. It's simple. As you're reading God's word, try to understand through the text who God is. What is the scripture? Ask yourself, what is the scripture saying about God right now that I'm reading? Now You won't be able to answer it every time you're reading God's word. But I'm sure one of these will apply. Number two, understanding what God has done for us. Again, the Apostle Paul had been laid out 11 chapters of what God had done before he got to the Therefore, do this. So the text that you're reading, ask yourself, what it, does this say anything about what God has done for me? And understanding what God has done for you will help you go forward in your life. Thirdly, understand what God continues to do for us. Remember, God's mercies are new every day. And maybe the text that you're reading has something to say about that. Understand what God continues to do for you. And fourthly, understanding what it means to live for him. Maybe the text that you're reading has some command or instruction for you. How do I live for God now according to this text? What is it telling me? And doing those things will help you renew your mind. Again, number one, understand who God is. Number two, understanding what God has done for us. Number three, understanding what God continues to do for us. And number four, understanding what it means to live for him. And once you have all that, as you learn that, what should you do next? Live it out. Live out what you know. Again, it's not enough to just have all this head knowledge if you don't go out and practice it. I'm going to conclude with Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, which I think is one of the best psalms to describe what we just talked about about being renewed and the result of that says this how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners nor sit in the seat of scorn of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the lord and in his law he meditates day and night He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. This is a great description of the person that is focusing on the word of God. They're not focusing and being conformed to this world, but they're being transformed by the renewing of their mind. Therefore, they delight in the word of God. And again, as a result, when hard times come, their leaf will not wither. Matter of fact, you'll grow firm, you'll grow stronger in your faith. You'll fully be transformed as you wait for the Lord to return. I hope that your prayer this morning, that you will be totally transformed by the renewing of your mind. I hope you found encouragement to, you know what? to refocus on the study of God's word and make it a vital part of your life and not be conformed to this world. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word, how it just speaks to us in a powerful way and is so relevant to us today. Lord God, we are weak and frail and we fall into temptation always. Lord, we allow ourselves to be conformed to this world, but we ask for your help. We ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit and by the mercies of God that we would offer up ourselves as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God, which is our spiritual service of worship. And Lord God, that we would not be conformed to this world, but we'd be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we would be able to prove what the will of God is, what is perfect and acceptable. Help us to do that, Lord God. We ask for your help as we travel through this world until the day that you return. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.